What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Will. It's Griff. It's Dov. And in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the MLB. We got stuff going around in the Red Sox. And then we're going to start our NFL talk with some rumors, some news around the league. And we're going to begin this season with our AFC and NFC predictions. What do we say, boys? Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. We're going to kick things off by talking about our beloved Boston Red Sox. I feel like we haven't talked specifically about the Sox in a little bit, but I think now is a great time to do that. It's the trade deadline. The team is playing well. They just lost a series to the San Francisco Giants on two walk-offs, but San Francisco Giants are a pretty good baseball club. We, I don't want to say we expected to lose, but the winning streak was going to come to an end. Um very winnable games. It just sucks the way it played out. But we're not here to talk about the games. We're talk- We're here to talk about the approach of what this team should do at the trade deadline. So we'll just start, Griff. Should the team buy or sell? That- that's the first question. What do you think we should do? Well, I mean, you-, you look at the team and what I've been telling everybody is it feels like we have a whole lot of nothing. So I feel like there's so many pieces that we could throw into a trade whether that be someone like a Duval or people have been talking about Verdugo recently, those guys have some value to them. We can go out there and get a starting pitcher right now. There's a lot of guys available. Everybody seems to be selling right now. And I mean, we're sitting here seven games over 500 after losing a series to the giants and we're heading into August right now. We're still in the hunt. We're only a few games out of the wild card spot. And we're the Boston Red Sox. We're not a team that should back down in these situations because we have all the money in the world. We're a high market team. We can afford to go out, make a move for someone that's maybe on the last year of their contract and then potentially sign them in the offseason. I feel like there's no reason not to. We've seen it in past years with, you know, the Braves um, and the Phillies going into August or halfway through July having worse records than what the Red Sox do right here. There's a whole lot of season left. Even if you think that there isn't, there's no reason not to sell or, or there's no reason to sell. There's no reason not to buy. I I think that we have a chance. We have a solid core, some young guys. We're fitting into the way that the game of baseball is being played right now with this youth movement, athletic movement. We still have some power. We got a lot of guys that are going out and doing the job for us. And you know what? We're missing a few pieces. But like I said, we got a whole lot of nothing. We have too many outfielders. Not everybody can play every day. We have too many middle infielders. Most of them are honestly ass. But they have some value on them. And we already saw Kike go. We could see someone like a Pablo Reyes get shipped off as well. Just there's a lot of people that could be on the chopping block that we could really get some value in return. I think that there's no reason not to buy I think it's the perfect time, and I think that we're set up perfectly to go out and make two more moves before we see the deadline tomorrow. So currently, the Sox are sitting two and a half games out of the wild card spot behind the Houston Astros, who are sitting at 59 and 47. Sox are 56 and 49. As you said, they're seven games above 500. The Blue Jays are 59 and 47, tied for that second and third wild card spot with the Astros. And then ahead of everybody else is the Tampa Bay Rays, who had a terrible month of July. And the Baltimore Orioles have taken over as the leading 
team in the American League, which nobody really expected. But I kind of want to talk a little bit behind the Red Sox, too, for this idea that they should buy. Look at the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, we're going to get to them in a little bit with how much they're buying, but they're all in. They want to prove to Shohei Otani that they're here to stay, and they're here to compete and actually try and get a ring for the first time with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, even the first time in the playoffs with those guys, which is ridiculous to say. But now, Will, do you think that the Sox should buy or sell? Um, I think we have to buy. Do I – what do I – I say we buy. What I think they're going to do, I think they're going to try to find some middle ground between buy and sell like they have been doing, and I think that's just completely not the way to go. I think you go buy. I agree with Griff. You have to attack it now while we can. We have a lot of prospects that are doing a lot of big things in the minors right now, so they have tons of value right now. We don't know what they're going to do next year, and a lot of people are looking at our farm system, which is for the first time in quite some time that we're actually getting some traction from there. So – that's always good for us, especially since I think we should be buying. Like you said, Griff, but the outfield situation, Verdugo's name has been around for the last couple of days. Obviously, we're approaching the deadline tomorrow. I don't know if I want to see him go, but if we can acquire, if we can put him in a piece as a package deal with someone and get something in return, I don't know if I would hate it. We need to get a starter in the rotation. We need someone. I know Trevor Story is coming back, which is big. So we can easily ship off another infielder, which we have a few that have plenty of value. And Duvall, I know, I think if I know we were saying between him and Turner, Turner needs to say Duvall needs to go. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, middle infield with story coming back, it's definitely going to be solidified. Trevor story. I think we kind of forget how good Trevor story can be. He's a gold glove type player at shortstop. He hopefully his elbow can stay healthy enough to the point where he can play shortstop for a long time through the rest of the five years remaining on his contract. We know that he's going to bat around 250 and get his home runs, um, which provides a lot much needed power into this lineup. As of right now, this team isn't really hitting home runs outside of like Justin Turner and Rafael Devers. And um, that's a middle of the order guy who's going to boost this team. But now second base is kind of a question mark because you have guys like Christian Arroyo, Pablo Reyes who play there sometimes, Yu Chang. But that's not really what you need, especially when you're talking about the teams who are behind you, as I brought up before, in the Angels, the Yankees who are getting Aaron Judge back. I'm not, I'm not really worried about them, but they're still there. The Mariners who are looking to buy. And, uh, and you look ahead, you have the Houston Astros, Toronto Blue Jays, who the Blue Jays and the Astros are already buying, and the Rays who are – seven games or uh, eight games ahead of you. So it's tough. You have to make tough decisions and you have to go and buy. Do I think that they're going to go buy? Absolutely not. Do I want them to? Absolutely. But they're going to stay in this middle tier of doing absolutely nothing. And it's going to piss all of us off as we've been pissed off before, but it's whatever. Do I want them to go and get Tim Anderson? Absolutely. The Tigers are fielding calls on guys like Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Lorenzen. I think Lorenzen is going to end up back in the Angels, but Erod coming back home, I would not be opposed to that whatsoever. He has a good relationship with Alex Cora. That's another solid guy who's a proven pitcher in the postseason who can hopefully get you over the hump that you're currently experiencing. And then you've got guys like Tanner Houck, you got guys like Garrett Whitlock and Chris Sale coming back eventually. We don't know when that may be, but I remember talking in the preseason predictions about the Red Sox, about the hell stretch that we go through in August. And we need those guys back for that run. If we can stay 
above 500 throughout that August run, we're sitting pretty in that postseason race. We have a huge series coming up this weekend against the uh, Blue Jays post deadline. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Agreed. I mean, I also think one with the hell stretch, but two with um, what's it called? With making our moves, we I think they like obviously a hard decision is going to need to be made. I think we need to make the hard decision now because we haven't before. And if we don't do it now, I don't see us doing it later. We're going to sit there and the whole offseason, we're going to sit here and be like, obviously far from now, but the whole offseason, we're saying, oh, what free agents are we going to sign? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's just going to be a bunch of null. If we make a move now, we can place ourselves better off for seasons to come. Yeah. And <clears throat> with that being said, like you said earlier as well, we have a ton of prospects at this point. Um, this is the first time that our farm has been good since we saw Mookie came come out of there and Xander come out of there. It's exciting, but you know, like like I said, we're a big market team. Like we should be exciting in the big leagues at all times. We should have players that can play ball and get us into the playoffs year in and year out. That's what we're expecting, and that's for, for rightfully so. We have a lot of guys in. We saw Duran come out. Um, and he's been on fire. Casas has been one of our guys that, you know, at the beginning of the season, I, it looked like my preseason take on him was going to be correct, and he just caught fire after All-Star break. Justin Turner stuff, like you said, that, talking about that middle infield, he made a couple plays in this past series at second base. I mean, if that can work, why the hell not? That's a guy who he, we can't take him out of the lineup on offense. 37 years old, making crazy diving plays, giving a little shovel pass out of the glove is – something we weren't expecting from him. We weren't expecting him to even play second base this no, year, let alone I, third base. We weren't uh, expecting him to do anything except for DH and play first base on days that Casas maybe wasn't going to play in the field. I completely forgot that he has been serviceable at second base, but it kind of goes – Better than Kike was. Yes, 100%. And it kind of goes back to my point where his bat has been so valuable in this lineup where he's hitting for power. And with runners in scoring position, he's hitting above 350. I think he's almost hitting 400, which is absolutely outstanding for a 37-year-old. And it's one of those things where we were sad to see J.D. go, but the pop and what Justin Turner has brought to this team has made me forget about J.D. Martinez completely. And we need to keep him in this lineup whether it be at DH, whether it be at second base. But if we can get someone like Tim Anderson who can change the culture around in this locker room and bring some excitement into this team and push them to a playoff run, and you keep Justin Turner, then you have Turner at DH, you have uh, Anderson who is an everyday second baseman who would just want to play for a winning team and who played a very good second base from the World Baseball Classic. He knows what to do, and we keep Story at short. That, that infield is solidified. And like you said, you have Turner and Cassis rotating in and out at first base, depending on who you're platooning and whether or not we let Duvall go. Because Alex Cor made a comment that I didn't I didn't like when he was talking about platooning Cassis and Duran. Um, he was like, well, Rafi <clears throat> platooned in 2018. Rafi was, what, 19? These guys are 23, 24. So it's one of those things where you can't compare the two. And... Duran has been outstanding against lefties this year, which is something great to see. I think we talked about this in spring training too, how his swing looked more comfortable and how he was pushing the ball into the outfield. He wasn't trying to pull and hit for power all the time. And Cassis against lefties, I understand that platoon with Justin Turner just because of how good Turner has been. I don't mean to ramble, but it's just the truth. So if we can keep 
I don't care if we keep Duvall as that platoon, like we said. If he leaves, it wouldn't kill me, depending on what we got back. If we could get a starter, um, it'd be great. But let's go around the MLB because a lot of starters have been moved around. And the biggest name that has been dealt thus far has been Max Scherzer, and he's going to the Texas Rangers, to it's which seemingly he's always piggybacking, piggybacking uh, wherever – Jacob DeGrom goes, even though DeGrom has been out. First of the Mets, now he's with the Rangers. Uh, and that's not the only arm they added. They got Jordan Montgomery, too. Griff, what what, what are the expect, expectations for this team now? Because they, they're acquiring all these guys. They're making a strong push to the postseason. And they're solidifying their roster from each position in and out. Um, as they say where I'm from, they just put their nuts on the table. They they are all in. Nate Evaldi goes on the I.L., and before you can even mention it, Max Scherzer is now on the team. Jordan Montgomery is on the team. Talk about some reinforcements. You already picked up Chapman a couple of weeks ago, and this team's ready to go. Um, before the All-Star break, I mean, we saw six people on the All-Star field at the same time that were on the Texas Rangers. This team is very good. Um, 60 and 46 on the year. Uh, like you said, usually the AFC West goes through the Houston Astros, but with a team that's this hot, hopefully Scherzer can come and actually provide some quality innings. He didn't really look like anything special on the Mets, but that might have just been where he was. And I don't deny and I don't doubt this guy's talent and greatness at this point in his career. He's special. He's a, He always has been. He's a Hall of Famer. And now Texas looks like the team to be in the AL. I know that Baltimore is – you know, the young, exciting team, and we love young, fun, and exciting, and they're on top of the AL. But after a move like that, making a splash like that, and you have the offense to match it, this team could get hot at any moment during the month of August, and they might not lose it. I really like the way that this team looks. I love the way that the team is built. And you guys remember a couple years ago when they made the move to get Marcus Semien. And they made the move to get Corey Seager. And we were like, what is Texas doing? Like, this team is in a rebuild. They rebuilt with that money that they had after building that new stadium. And it's been working out for them this year. And we've been waiting for them to kind of do what they're doing right now. They had a tough, tough, tough um, stretch so far after the or after the All-Star break. They just got swept by the Padres. They're going up against the um, White Sox tomorrow night after having a night off on the night of this recording. Um they have everything that it takes, in my opinion, all of the pieces to make a World Series run this year. And I would say it's ALDS, very minimum, World Series or bust, to be honest. Muted. But I think um, with those two moves alone, especially with Chat, with Chapman coming in before, way before the deadline, um, it's World Series or bust for them. I think with those two moves, they're making it known that they're trying to make the World Series, if not trying to win the World Series this year, which they totally can. I think what uh, Evoldi's on the 15-day IL, so he's coming back. So you're telling me that rotation is going to be Evoldi, Scherzer, Montgomery. Who else is in that? Perez? I think um, Perez dropped out of that. He dropped out of it? I don't even know who Andrew else Andrew Heaney is there, too. Heaney, yeah. They – their rotation is nasty. They have they have their closer. Their bullpen is solid. And like you said, Griff, they had what five six all stars on that field. It's it's they have to go to the World Series pretty much. I'd I'd almost say you could probably book it for them. 
So I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different approach than you guys, I want to say. Um, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. Injuries right now are what is hurting them. Right now, they just sent Jonah Heim to the uh, IL. Corey yep. Seager's been on the IL. Avaldi, yep. like you said, has been on the IL. So if this team can stay healthy, they will probably end up being the number one seed in the AL. Or the number two seed, I'm sorry. Right behind... Uh, Right behind either the Rays or the Orioles, I just think. The AL East. Yeah. Well, whoever finishes the top of the AL East will finish the top of the AL. And then that number two seed is probably going to be Texas. And then whoever wins the AL Central, which is just an absolute dumpster fire, not even worth talking about. Because the Twins, I think, are sitting at the top of the AL uh, Central, and they're selling at the deadline. Uh, they they're, they sold – who they just give up? They gave up Savali. Yep. From, and they gave him to and they give up Pablo. Yeah, they're giving up their some of their better players, and they're sitting literally in first place of the AL Central. So I guess that's are we saying that Cleveland's going to win that division? So right now we're going to have Baltimore or Tampa. Then we have Texas. Then we have Cleveland. And then the three wild cards are going to be either Tampa or Houston. And then it's going to be either a mix of our. For that third wild card, it's going to be like the Red Sox, the Angels, the Yankees, all the the Blue Jays. I didn't even mention. It's going to it's going to be a jump. It's going to be a cluster. So it's competitive. The AL is so much better than the NL. It's not even funny. Yeah. And with how competitive the AL is, the Rangers have to make these moves. They have to go out and get these star pitchers because you're going to be facing the best of the best in the AL. Whoever comes out of the AL is going to win the World Series. But um, whether it be Texas, I don't know. We'll have to see how these guys pan out because Montgomery sucked on the Yankees. He was decent on the Cardinals. And now we'll see how he is in Texas. And then Scherzer kind of had – he's picked it up as of late. Change of scenery. Let's see how he rebounds, if he can play well in, with these expectations, which I expect him to do. But the injuries kind of scare me with Jonah Heim and Corey Seager and Nate Evaldi. That I'm going to be I'm gonna be 100. I don't know how this team's going to rebound from it. And if they get into the wild card – all it takes is one game or uh, two games and you're out, right? So who knows? All right, moving on. We'll talk about the NL now. We'll talk about a team that's always seemingly buying at the deadline with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Dodgers right now sit atop of the NL West at 59-45, and they didn't think that was enough. They went out and they got Ahmed Rosario. They went out and they got back Joe Kelly and they acquired Lance Lynn. They're solidifying their starting rotation. And there are rumblings that Walker Bueller can return from injury sometime before the postseason starts. Is this I, I don't I'm not taking the Dodgers serious. I'm gonna be I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't I don't think that they're anything special right now. They have the names, but you go deep into their roster, I don't really think that they're anything great. I agree. Now, and there's a lot of injuries on this team as well. Like you talked about Walker Bueller, who's been hurt all season. Um, Kershaw's battling a few things. Same with Mookie and J.D. Martinez. Um, and a name that you also didn't mention, another acquire that they had, obviously, a departure from us, was Kike Hernandez, who's supposed to provide a spark in the locker room. Maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. Basically, Either way that the Dodgers go, they're going to find their way on top of the NL West. They're going to find their way towards the top of the NL year in and year out. This is a team that has a great manager, great coach, and superstars. When they're fully healthy, 
I mean, this is the team to be in the MLB. This is the all-star team. This is the Monstars. You have Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith behind the dish. Kershaw was probably the greatest pitcher in this era. You have J.D. Martinez, who was a power guy, World Series champion. Jason Hayward, who back in 2005 was amazing. Um, but, no, for real, they have name after name after name, and year in and year out at the deadline, they go out, they go get guys maybe on the end of a contract or just a guy that provides a spark, and this is what they do. So I I guess I have high hopes for the MLB right now because I kind of said the same thing about the Rangers, thinking that they're going to do good after this uh, deadline. I, I expect nothing but the same from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like you already mentioned, Sav, they're on top of the NL West already. Um, an NL West that is kind of struggling this year, not really what we're expected to see from them year in and year out. Um, like the, the Padres aren't there. The Giants aren't fully there. Now, those are a couple teams that are sitting around 500 or above it. Um, but we're expecting them to fight for that top spot in the NL West. Um, the Diamondbacks go out, make a few moves. That's a team that could be scary. The, the, but either way, the Dodgers, Dodger Stadium, you just think about a team on the West Coast, that, that's the team that you think about. So I'm not really nervous about them because, like you said, I agree with you, Stav. The, the, the whole league runs on the AL right now. Whoever goes through the AL, whoever gets through that gauntlet is going to win the World Series. But the Dodgers are going to be in the NLCS, whether you like it or not. That's just where they find themselves year in and year out. That's who they are. That's the game that they play. They find their way there, whether they scratch, crawl, or run to it. It's easy some years. It's not so easy that uh, other years. This is still the Los Angeles Dodgers that we're talking about. Like They have the craziest players of all time. Freddie Freeman's still on this team. We never talk about yeah. that. And Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez and Clayton Kershaw. And we can go on. For, we can name guys. They're, they have a bunch of guys. Hernandez is their third string second baseman, and that's all he is for them. Yeah. And if we want to talk about kind of what the NL is, at their wild card right now, it's the Giants, Brewers, and Marlins sitting in with the Phillies a half game out along with the Diamondbacks who are a game out. The Cubs, mm-hmm. who are not going to sell, who people kind of expected them to sell, they're sitting three and a half games out. They're, they're on a little win streak as well pushing them back into uh, – or they just lost one, but they're 8-2 and two in their last 10, kind of pushing them back into, okay, let's try and get a wild-card spot, keeping Cody Bellinger, keeping Marcus Stroman. Um, but the Giants, it's literally just a cluster again. But if you win the division, you should be in competition to make the World Series in the NL. That's just my opinion. Um, I don't see a team like the Dodgers losing to somebody – like the Reds, it just based off yeah. of teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the Braves should win the NL. Yeah. They have the most solid roster. They are sitting mm-hmm. 31 games above 500. They're 67 and 36. Um, the best team in the NL by far, I think by almost 10 games, by nine games. And yeah. then the Reds and the Brewers are competing for that one seed in the Central. The Reds who are on fire, who are a young, fun, exciting team, as we like to say, but they don't really do it. They don't move the needle for me. Ellie De La Cruz is sick, but he let's be realistic. He's batting 280. He's hitting some home runs here and there, but he's kind of fallen off since his electric start. But he's still a very good player, very young player. I'm not writing him off, but that's not a guy right now in his career who is going to will you over a team like the Braves or will you over a team like the Dodgers. And then 
like we said, the Dodgers sit atop of the NL West with the Giants trailing them by two games. The, the Diamondbacks could make a little push and make a wild card. But the Braves are far and above the best team in the NL. They are competing for the best team. In the That's the only team in the NL who could win the World Series, in my opinion. They're way too deep, barring injury. The Brave, This is the Braves division, the Braves conference, rather. And um, Dodgers are trying to catch up with these moves. Well, I mean, I don't think, like, for the Dodgers team this year, I don't think they're anything too special from prior Dodgers years. I think they've been better. Obviously, injuries are holding them back. But the Braves are the team to beat, to be honest. I don't see them. I honestly see them winning the World Series. Like, if they make it there, obviously, they're they're not really battling too much more than just winning games and trying to get to their end season goal of getting back to the World Series and winning another one. I think they have it. Like, personally, I think no matter who's coming out of the AL, I think it's going to be a battle. But the Padres are just – I mean, not the Padres, my bad. The Braves are just something different this year. They've been on a totally different level compared to any other team across the MLB. No matter who you have on your team, it's the Braves, the Braves, the Braves. Yeah, and let's stay in the city of Los Angeles. Go, I mean, technically Anaheim, but they're the LA Angels. We all know this. Who, we've mentioned it briefly before, and we're going to talk about it a little bit now. This is the first time I think I've seen the Angels actually make a push to keep their superstars happy. I think that they were just kind of taking the approach of, okay, tomorrow, 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 let's we'll figure out our Shohei situation tomorrow, whatever that may be. And tomorrow came today. And they're like, shit, Shohei might actually leave. And then what? What do we do? Then Mike Trout's gone. And then you have nothing. And they're, they put, like you said, Griff, they put their nuts on the table. And they went out and they got some players. They got back C.J. Crone, who was on that franchise five, ten years ago. I I don't know the exact years, but he went up through that system, went to the Rockies on a deal. Now he's back. And they also got Randall Gritchick, who's batting above 300, who should be a very solid piece for this team, especially in a team that strikes out a lot with the Angels. That's a good top-of-the-order type guy. And now you you didn't really give up any of your – you gave up some prospects – but you still have your core rotation of guys, and you're you're gonna make a you should make a push to compete for a wild card spot. We talked about how stacked the AL is, but they didn't stop there. They got Lee, Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez from the White Sox, solidifying a starting rotation behind Shohei Otani. I mean, you have Patrick Sandoval, you have now Lucas Giolito, and you have other guys who can give you some innings. So. Can the Angels make the push? Yes. Will they? Who knows, right? It's tough. Yeah, I mean, they're four games back of the wild card spot. And looking at that, you're like, oh, well, there's more than enough time to make up four games. But this is like we've been talking about the whole episode. The AL is an absolute gauntlet, so it's not going to be easy. They didn't put themselves in a great spot, but they're fighting for it. And like you said, they made moves. And we're waiting on Mike Trout to come back. They're waiting on a few different guys as well, like Brandon Drury to come back. That rotation is solidified now. I love Reed Detmers as well, who's a guy that you didn't mention, another one of those starters. I think that he's been giving them quality innings all year. Um, Getting someone like Ronaldo Lopez to throw someone else in that bullpen, which has kind of been a weak point of that team, is a good move. And then you have your veterans that you pick up 
a couple of weeks ago, they got Mike Moustakis from the Rockies, uh, picking up CJ Crone to be an everyday first base guy because Trey Cabbage isn't really giving you what you need day in and day out as a rookie. They are doing what they should be doing every year when you have people like Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. It's about time. We've been waiting on them to do this. They're within striking distance. And I'm just going to say right now, I think that they find themselves at that bottom wild card spot. And then I think they get screwed in the wild card and they do nothing about it. And Shohei leaves in free agency. That'd be sad. Um, they can't I mean, believe but, the Angels, but at least when you're the Angels, I feel like you can. I don't want to say you can accept the fact, but at least you tried, right? You just didn't fold over like every single other year that you've had Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. You actually put your nuts on the table, like we've said three times this episode, and you went for it, right? You went for it and you tried, and that I feel like that's all you can want as a baseball fan, right? You want your team to go and do something at the trade deadline and try and make a push for the wild card or even a division title, that would be nice if that could happen to everybody's ball club. But that might be too much to ask for as we move on to NFL talk. For the first time of the 2023-2024 season, not really, but football season's here. Football starts on Thursday. Preseason starts on Thursday. We're recording this on Monday. Football starts on Thursday, and I can't be more excited. So we'll start off with the rumor mill. The Jets brought in Dalvin Cook on visit on visits. He's been there for a little bit. Um, the two sides are probably going to make a deal. I don't really think he's going to leave New York without a deal, and um, that's a very good acquisition, especially with Brees Hall coming off of injury, taking a little bit of the workload away from him. And Dalvin Cook's a very good running back, as we know. And this weird running back market, when you can get somebody as talented as him, probably for cheap, then you're doing the right thing, in my opinion. You can't go wrong getting Dalvin Cook. Yeah, it's just getting to the point where all these running backs just want to play, you know. And we saw it, the deal with Saquon Barkley, where he took, what, 900K more than what he was originally offered. Like, that wasn't a deal where he got what he wanted. He had to end up settling because he's a competitor. He wants to play the game. And Dalvin Cook wants to play the game as well. And Ezekiel Elliott, who we'll talk about in a minute, wants to play the game as well. The Jets, though, if they go out and make this move, I think that they might have too much in that running back room. You mentioned Brees Hall coming off an injury. It would be great to get them splitting reps. But then what happens to Michael Carter, who's a very good third down back? Dalvin Cook is replacing all of those reps. And now Brees Hall is going to be a guy that's not really catching any passes because that's Dalvin Cook's game. So I think that it could lead to – um, you know, the production will be there, but I'm just thinking about the Jets' future, and the Jets' future in the running back room comes from a guy from Iowa State named Brees Hall, not from Dalvin Cook. So I think that this could really screw up his progression as a NFL running back, even though he's coming off an injury. Um, Michael Carter is going to be completely out of this rotation. It's going to be majority Dalvin Cook touches, and I think that he'll sign here. It's going to be majority Dalvin Cook touches, a few Brees Hall touches every game, we're going to see who's the number one running back, and there won't be one. It's going to be a true committee here. And the Jets are just trying to add on to what they've gotten. I'm waiting to see how this works out with chemistry, which it looks like it's maybe starting to be good. Garrett Wilson has had a few clips from preseason looking promising, and everybody's on him. Aaron Rodgers, boy, does he look ugly in that green helmet. 
He looks terrible in that Jets helmet. The little like with the specks on it and it like kind of shines and he has like that huge head and it's the helmet from like 2006. It's so ugly. He looks terrible and we'll get to our AFC and NFC East predictions, but I just, I can't believe in the New York Jets. They're the New York Jets. This is the best quarterback that they've had since Mark Sanchez. Yeah, well, I mean easily. Yeah. I Mark Sanchez when and before Mark Sanchez, who was it? Broadway um, Joe. <laughs> yeah, but there was a guy, Chad Pennington. That's the guy I was thinking. Oh, he sucked. But like, that's the last guy I can remember. Remember <laughs> who was? Remember they had like Michael Vick for a few games. Yes, and Tim Tebow was in that room too. That was an yep. interesting. But we're not here to talk about Tim Tebow. We're here to talk about this current. 2023 NFL season. And speaking of running backs, Zeke Elliott visited the Patriots. And um, I went to the Patriots training camp yesterday. I had a few notes. Um, I, I remember last year how much I talked about training camp and how I was like, the offense is going to eventually figure it out, and they never did. But bias aside, this offense looks 10 times more competent than they did last year, which isn't really much to say. But they looked like they had a plan of attack. They weren't moving backwards. They weren't making stupid mistakes. It looked like they actually had a game plan. And in my opinion, they definitely do need another running back. Because Ramondre Stevenson, although he is good, you need somebody to compliment him and you need somebody to take away some reps from him, in my opinion. And I think with this style of offense that they're going to be running, I think that we're going to see a lot of RPOs. We're going to see a lot of attacking the middle of the field with Mike Gusecki and Hunter Henry. Mac Jones looked crisp throwing the ball. The offense, I know it's in shells or whatever. The offensive line looked in unison. They're keeping that zone blocking scheme that was so successful for them in prior years. The play calling was there. They all looked in check. They ran to start. Obviously, you go through like your carousel of warm-ups and your indie drills. But then when they got into scrimmaging and when they got into seven-on-sevens and they got into red zone, they're running hurry-up offense, and the offense looked in sync. It might have been a scripted set of plays. We'll never know. But they looked in sync. They were firing on all cylinders. They looked like there was chemistry. And Mac Jones looked like a starting quarterback in this league. But we definitely do need another running back. And I think Ezekiel Elliott will be a perfect fit here. And he has stayed in Foxborough for – he got here, I believe, on a visit on Saturday. And he's still here now, and it's Monday. And I think he's eventually going to sign a deal. I think that they're just working through some logistics. um, And I think that's going to be a perfect fit here. I think he's going to have a very good impact on this team. I agree. I've been saying, I think, I know we were in the room for Dalvin Cook at whatever point. I think he's going to go sign with the Jets. I think the Jets would be stupid if they, if he left that trip and they don't sign him, but I wouldn't put it past them. But I've been saying Ezekiel Elliott would be a really, really good fit, if not a perfect fit behind Ramondre Stevenson. And I think based off of what we all thought his workload should have been with the Dallas Cowboys the past couple of years with Tony Pollard really taking, well, as we, would assume would probably be taking a lead back role and obviously getting more reps and stuff like that. He'd fit perfect as a backup gets his reps in. He'll be perfect for that. I think we're in a good situation if we end up with Ezekiel Elliott. Griff, give me the outsider's perspective on, I uh, know well, we're going to get into predictions in a second. I don't, we don't need any pr- predictions. We'll get yet. there. We'll, get, we'll there. get there. We'll get there. I'm getting anxious. I love it's football season. How, how can you not be the Patriots? All right. 
staying in the running back world, Jonathan Taylor requests a trade from Indianapolis. Um, Griff, we kind of talked about this yesterday a little bit. I'm throwing yeah, a lot what, of you what an absolute team. terrible situation that we're in right now if you're a Jonathan Taylor guy. Uh, me personally, no, I couldn't care less about Jonathan Taylor. He's had one good year. Um, but so basically news came out out of the woodworks that Jonathan Taylor requested a trade. First off, I want to get everybody's reaction here. Who thinks that's a dumb move? Raise your hand. Thank you. Will didn't raise his hand. Will hesitated to see what we were doing, so Will's just a follower. Um, the the Colts, first off, are the biggest dumpster fire of all time. That's already understood. But with that being said, what right does Jonathan Taylor have after the season he just put up to request a trade? You're going up against – or you're going up with the best offensive line in the league year in and year out in the Indianapolis Colts. They have a great run game. You know, you can say what you want about the coaching situation there, but absolutely no business requesting a trade. And then he gets injured, not with the team, not playing football. He gets a random injury, and it comes out that the Colts, if they want to, can activate him on like a year-long non-football injury list where he can not play the whole year and he doesn't have to receive a dime from the Indianapolis Colts. So what a shitty position that puts Jonathan Taylor in because now he has literally no choice. Uh, Jim Ursay came out, um, shout out to the commanders for selling their team because now the worst owner in all of uh, the NFL resides in Indianapolis. And he came out and was like, if I'm dead, if Jonathan Taylor's out of the league by like Wednesday, no one will care or he said something like that. He was like, football will continue. The world will go on. And that kind of wraps right back around to the running back situation in the NFL right now, where if a guy goes, gets uh, 400 touches in a season, runs for 1,500 yards, then the next season, say that's a contract year, they'll people that or GMs are going to say that they're worn down. And Jonathan Taylor has played, what, three seasons? And he's had one where he was phenomenal and the other two were mediocre at best. Now he wants all the money in the world. If he's not going to get it, he thinks that it's a good time to request a trade with the running back situation, which we can all tell that it isn't. This is just the dumbest situation in all of football. And Jonathan Taylor, out of nowhere, after having a terrible season, got the biggest ego of all time. You're seeing your fellow running backs. Was he not in this Zoom meeting that took place a week ago with all of the running backs where they're talking about how Austin Eckler's not getting paid, right? Ezekiel Elliott's not going to get paid. He's about to be a Patriot for four, $4 million, and that's going to be the biggest deal of all time. Dalvin Cook's going to get like six mil. The only person that's making upwards of 14, 15 mil is Christian McCaffrey. You know why? Because he deserves it. In my opinion, the running back, the running back committee is so oversaturated that you could go draft someone next year in the sixth round and they could damn well be a starter in the NFL. That's just the way that the running backs work. It's a shitty situation, but Jonathan Taylor is not helping out his stock and he's not helping out anybody at this point when the running back situation is screwed like this. And we saw it um, a few years ago when Gronk wanted the wide receiver money, but he was getting a tight end deal. And then it went on to Travis Kelsey and Travis Kelsey finally got a bag. We need someone to break out, have a crazy year, get a crazy contract and get this 
upwards tick of money being spent on a position off the road. I mean, we just need to see a crazy year from someone. It could have been Jonathan Taylor, but now he just has to add all of this weight onto his shoulders coming right into preseason. We're a week into preseason. What are you doing? Go out there, play football, earn the money. This is the biggest year for running backs for the next 10 years. This decides what everybody's contract is going to look like the next go around and the go around after that. So we need some crazy production from guys like um, I'll even say Miles Sanders, obviously Austin Eckler, Tony Pollard getting his first year as a premier back and especially Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor better do it in Indianapolis to show how much running backs are worth. Stick with your team and prove your worth as a position group. Um, you brought up before Christian McCaffrey how he's making $14 million a year and how he deserves it. I couldn't agree more. And it's just he's getting paid that because of how much he can do on the football field. He yep. can play the slot receiver if you know if you need him to. He can throw the damn football if you need him to. He can run between the tackles. He can run outside zone. He can run between the guards if you need him to. And he does exactly what you need. Like, he's the perfect running back. He is the perfect football player in that perfect offense in that 40. You don't even need a quarterback in that 49ers offense because of how good Kyle Shanahan is of a coach and how good their scheme is. And does Jonathan Taylor line up in the slot? No, he doesn't. I mean, Saquon does it. He can, I, I think Saquon's an excellent pass catcher out of the backfield. I think he deserves some money. It's just the injury concerns with Saquon. He's been hurt half of his career technically. Um, Jonathan Taylor has no right to be asking for this money, I guess, you know, and it's like, you're in a terrible situation. You're in a rebuilding year, but you're in a shitty conference in the AFC South. Why, I mean, not, go, why not go out and prove it? You same with Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Jacobs is an old school running back. He has his production, but he doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield. You need to yep. get another running back to compliment him on third downs. Exactly. And how I look at it. I think we've said this before um, this running back strike type thing was going on. Running back is the most replaceable position in sports. Um, you look at the last 10 Super Bowl winners. We talked about this last episode. No one was making over $1.2 million as a running back on the Super Bowl winning teams. Everyone was on their rookie deals. And Jonathan Taylor said he wanted $16 million a year. What gives him the right to make more than Christian McCaffrey, who is the best running back in the NFL? disrespectful it makes and no sense that he's screwing over you like he's screwing over the market exactly in a market that's already screwed over imagine screwing that over times too that's exactly what jonathan taylor is doing because even though i personally don't think that he's you know a top three running back two years ago i would probably say differently i would say that this guy is something special. He's a young guy. He's coming off. I mean, I almost feel like we're kind of having another Devonta Foreman. Or uh, what's his name um, from – we talked about him on the Falcons before Todd Gurley. Freeman. Freeman. Devontae Freeman. Devonta Foreman was the guy on the Panthers now. Um, Devontae Freeman where he was like coming off his rookie deal. It was like, is this the best running back in the league? And then he has one bad year and it's out of the league. That's how easy it is for a running back to go. It We – we talk about the NFL. We obviously said that about the running backs, but just the NFL in general, the average lifespan of an NFL player is somewhere around three or four years. And it, it is a league that is so heavily saturated in America. Everybody's playing football. Every There's 265 Division One college football teams with 
a hundred guys on each roster trying to make the NFL year in and year out. So there is so much room to work with for GMs to go out and save some money by just drafting a running back every four years that these running backs, no matter how good they are, no matter how much of a power horse they are, since the way that the NFL is played now in the past game in the West coast set where there's more RPOs and there's more, um, inside zone you're you're running quickly and then you're throwing the ball right they don't need these guys to run on first second and third down every single possession because that's just not the way that the game's played anymore so they're not going to pay money for a position that they're not really focused on that much you can go out and draft a guy like jonathan taylor like the colts did and get four years of production for him and then once those four years of production he wants a crazy contract guess what i'll see you you can walk you can go to a shitty team like whoever it may be, the Houston Texans or the Arizona Cardinals. And if they want to give you money, so be it. We're not going to do it. We're just going to take someone in the third round. And in, if he's half as good as you, perfect, because we're going to throw the hell out of the ball anyways. That's what the NFL does. I mean, it's true. I mean, I think we talked about it in the last episode, and I said that most teams are heading towards, like, having a dual back system. They want two guys who can do it all. And the, the stars in this league – all have someone behind them that are all doing what they can do, if not sometimes even better. It's it's not going to work out. I think it's a dumb move. We don't need to keep talking about it, though. Yeah. Um, just as the last thing about the running backs for this episode, um, James Conner screwed over the entire running back market for history just because when Le'Veon Bell sat out or wanted his money and then James Conner stepped in and became a 1,000-yard rusher, that – them and the Patriots with how they adapted. They're like, all right, we're going to have five running backs yep. and no one's going to make over a million dollars and we're going to win a Super Bowl. Like teams are kind of realizing that now, like, oh shit, we cannot afford to pay a running back this much money. Let's just get a guy on his rookie deal and draft his backups and running back by committee forming. And that's how you do it. And that's Every how you year. win football. They're money balling the running back room. Yep. And it's gonna and that's the most that is, I will agree. I will agree with every GM in the NFL. That is the right decision. It works. We out. Think, that's how it works. That's the right we decision. Do you think the running back position is gonna become the fullback position soon? Not necessarily, because the fullback position is, I mean, as good as gone. There's many teams like my own team, the Seattle Seahawks. We have a fullback and he doesn't play offense. He just he plays more linebacker than he does fullback, Nick Ballor. He, he's a special teams guy. We send him out there on kickoff and kick return. We don't use a fullback. The Seahawks, if you see them use a fullback, it's maybe once every other week. That's The running back will be there. The running back will be in every single play for the most part. And it doesn't matter who it is. There's just so much quality there. There's so many guys that you can get. We even saw Deuce Vaughn, who's 5'5 now on the Cowboys. He tore it up in college. And I'm interested to see what he does out of the backfield, catching passes too. He, I think he compliments Tony Pollard pretty well. He might do a little something. He's tiny if he gets hit. He might those, be out for the rest of the those season. Those clips but, coming out of Cowboys training hilarious. camp are so funny. He's so short. He doesn't look real. Dude, they from from an angle they showed the pylon was half his height. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. But like, is he the shortest player technically in NFL history? No way, right? He's five four or five five. He's five five. There's no way he's five five. Like, I know that's what he's listed at, but there's no way he's five five. 
he's like five feet. But Dude, he looks so small, like just yeah. very short. Jack Shapiro, the shortest NFL player of all time, stood just under 5'1", weighing 119 pounds. Played one game in 1929. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <we> <laughs> all right. That wraps up running backs. Last note about rumors and stuff. Rumors coming out of San Francisco. Trey Lance is the quarterback three there with Purdy being number one, Darnold being number two, and then he's sitting at number three. What do they do with Trey Lance? This, this is a guy who you spent the third overall pick on back. And you traded up. You traded your oh, yeah. entire future yep. for this third pick. And now Trey Lance is sitting in a probably on game days in a red practice jersey holding up play cards. I mean, I'm as happy as a bee. I, I hate the 49ers. And um, John Lynch, I can't deny how good he is as a general manager. He has to sit on that. That was a terrible pick. We all knew it from the start. First off, he goes to a fake D1 program at NDSU. And then he takes a year off for COVID, not because of injuries, because the COVID year, he takes the year off. He's not with his team. What does that say? What does that say about his character, you know? And it proved you draft him with the third pick where everybody kind of thought he was going to fall maybe to 10 and they had a pick around 11 or 12 that year. They gave a bag up to go up and get him. And there's quarterbacks that fell past that spot that they originally had that they'd probably be in a better position with. We talked about the 49ers and Christian McCaffrey. This is a team that doesn't need a quarterback and to be a team that doesn't need a quarterback, having your third pick from two years ago, be your third string, not just like your third string behind Mr. Relevant from last year's draft, and then Sam Darnold, who is very, very closely reminiscent to the situation that Trey Lance had. Sam Darnold had more games started. I am going to bet that Sam Darnold will have more games started his whole career by the time it's all said and done than Trey Lance. Trey Lance is an absolute joke of an NFL player. He's one of those guys that fits the mold, but we haven't seen him play enough football because first off, he's always injured. And second off, he's not that good. And fuck the 49ers. I mean, he's not good. Like he's not gonna play. Like, like it's like I don't know what the battle looks like right now between Darnold and Purdy, but I'm gonna guess Purdy's gonna win it out. They're gonna go with Purdy easily after the year that he had. I honestly think he's going to be pretty good. Like, I think Purdy's going to be here to stay for a few years. I think he's going to be solid. I wouldn't be surprised if Trey Lance isn't on an NFL roster in, like, a year and a half from now. I think you love Trey. You said Trey Lance was going to be the MVP last year. I was about to say that. <laughs> I was about to say that. I, I'm sorry. That all just clicked. I just got, like, a flashback I, to when I was we recorded that. that. I was thinking that I was thinking that the entire time. I'm not giving up on Trey Lance. I think it's that what I was just about to, no. What I was about to say is that <laughs> a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have a rental at quarterback like Baker Mayfield, should go out and try and make a move for Trey. Take a shot, right? If the 49ers are going to sell low on him, take a shot. You know he he has the intangibles, right? No one was really high on Jalen Hurts. I'm not comparing Trey Lance to Jalen Hurts. Two different programs entirely. Jalen Hurts had a very successful college career and is an excellent quarterback in the NFL. Um, but Trey Lance is a strong player who has the intangibles. And under the right system, under the right coaches, I think that he could excel. But he's in the perfect situation for a quarterback right now. 
to why he, he isn't excelling right now doesn't make much sense to me. I just think it's coming down to Brock Purdy fits the mold of this offense better than Trey Lance does. And I think in hindsight, if the 49ers could go back and do it, I think that they should have gotten Mac Jones at number three. I think that Mac Jones and Brock Purdy are very similar players where, okay, you get the talent around them. You get the coaching around them. You get the scheme around them and they're going to excel. They're coachable players. They're decent. They're, I don't want I don't. My Mac Jones leadership right now is kind of teetering, but Brock Purdy fit into that locker room culture perfectly last year. They brought him in and he excelled in that situation. But Trey Lance, it didn't fit for some reason where he was more of a RPO type passer when it's a zone scheme for the 49ers where it's you're you're hitting the gaps. You're not hitting man on man. And I think a team like Washington or a team like Tampa or maybe even a team like Denver should go out and get Trey Lance where, you know what, I, I'm going to say, I think Denver should go out and get Trey Lance, have him sit behind Russell Wilson and learn. Go and learn, and then Trey Lance will be the quarterback of the future for the Denver Broncos once Russell Wilson retires in two years. That, that's my take. And I think that Denver will be in an okay situation with Trey Lance. I, I don't, I'm not giving up on Trey Lance. I, I, I'll wear that on the chin. I said he was going to win the MVP. I'll wear it on the chin. It's a bad take. I also said that who was the corner on the Bills that I said was going to win? Oh, Kyrie Elam. Yeah, I, I said he was going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. My predictions suck. And I right. said he was like the fifth string. Yeah, I said Tristan Casas was going to be on the Woo Sox in two weeks, and now I'm wearing his graphic tape. So predictions. What's great about being on a small podcast is predictions never really bite you in the ass. You're the only one who remembers them. But maybe in like <laughs> when we blow up in like five years, uh, these takes all come back and bite us in the ass. But speaking of predictions, is it time to go through our predictions of the AFC and the NFC East? I think so. It's been a long time coming. Um, so how do we want to do this? I think we should start with the AFC. And we'll go one by one, go through what you said the record will be. And from last place to first place, go in that order. Okay, and on my list here, Griff, it'll go Griff will stop. So, right, Griff, can we start with the NFC then? Yeah, we'll, we'll start NFC East. We'll do the NFC East. Griff, give me your predictions of the NFC East from last from, to first. From bottom to top? Yep. All right, well, let's get things started off here. I think that in the NFC uh, for the Eastern Division, we should be pretty similar. Um I'll just I'll just go straight for it. I'm starting off with the Commanders at the bottom of the division. I have them finishing with a record of five and twelve. Their quarterback is Sam Howell. <laughs> um, next, I have the New York Football Giants um, at third, and this may come to a surprise. Some people think that they're going to be a little bit better this year. I don't. I have them finishing eight and nine. Didn't like their schedule. I didn't like the way that they matched up against their opponents. Um, once everybody talks about their predictions, we'll get a little bit more into it. Um, so don't start yelling at me now. After that, in second, I have the Dallas Cowboys. I hate the Cowboys, but every year they are in the wild card. They're they're going to finish ten and seven, and ten and seven is the new five hundred. Ten and seven means nothing to me anymore. Um, at the top, I have the Eagles. 
people are talking about the Eagles maybe losing two games. Not me. I got them going 12 and five. Yes, 12 and five um, for the season. I think that the NFC East is going to kind of lag behind this season and the Eagles are going to get there, be the first in the division. And I think that they'll do pretty well in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be like a crazy, crazy team this year. All right. Before I go, I'm going to preface this. We did not share our picks with any of each no, other. No, until now. Until right now. It's the first time hearing this. And the yeah. reason why I'm saying that, I'm starting with the commanders in last place at 6-11, and 11, which was one more win than what Griff had. Like you said, Sam Howell is their quarterback. Their schedule just, like, they're not going to, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose m- more games than that. But I'm just, you know, I'm giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. You know, gotta, it's early. You, know, you never know. Um, I have the Giants third at eight and nine. I think Daniel Jones just signed that massive contract. Saquon's back. There's a, there's, there's a lot of for him to do to fill up to that contract. He's still going to be good. They're still going to be pretty good. They're not going to be great. Um, I got the Cowboys at 10 and seven. Um, they're going to be all right. I think they have a chance to be good. They also can slip. They're in that medium range, which is 10 and seven. And then the Eagles, as everyone's saying, they might do it all. They might go out there and maybe not even lose a game. I think they lose five of them. They end the season at four and five. Maybe we're right. Like, we might be right. Maybe we're right. I just don't see them. Like, I I still think they're going to be a powerhouse, but I just don't see them being like. Yeah. And I'm glad that you let it off because we genuinely did not share. Yeah. I was putting in his records. I said, do not put them in. I want this to be a raw reaction. Yeah. We are not going to be on the same page on the AFC. That's why I didn't start with the AFC. That's just that. NFC East, um, I have it's very similar in some ways, but we'll get to my differences. At the bottom, I have the commanders at four and thirteen. Griff, you hit the uh, head of the nail. Like Sam Howell at quarterback, uh, there's a lot of questions with that secondary as well. Age chicken nuggets and Ron Ron Rivera, great guy, terrible coach. <laughs> he's like, like, coach. like he's around because he's a Never good hope. guy with a good story. Nothing wrong with it. He's just – he's had one season above 500. Why does nobody talk about that? And that was the year that Cam Newton put up a historic year with Carolina. And that's – his record is skewed by four – he's around like a – I think he's his winning percentage as a coach is like 490. They went 15-1 and one that year. That's the reason why he's not – that's the only reason why he's still a coach in the NFL right now or not a coordinator at least. But that's the reason. I, but whatever. Commanders four and thirteen. That's where I have them. This is going to come as a surprise to you guys. I have the Giants at five and twelve. Okay. I okay. don't think their receiver. I don't hate room, it. I don't like their receiver room. I think that their yeah. defense is barbecue chicken, and yeah. they're going to take a step back. Uh, Dable, I think, is a good coach. They might have an injury here or there, but they're very thin. One guy goes down, and their season's derailed. And they're paying Daniel Jones all this money. There's a lot of pressure on him now. And can he succeed in that moment? We'll see. Next, I have the Philadelphia Eagles at 12 and 5. Um, I think that the Eagles are a good team. I think that they're gonna have a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover by one game. Not a hangover by sorts, but 
you know what I mean? They're not going to be as good as they were last year. I yeah. think that defense is excellent. No chip on their shoulder anymore. Yeah, no, but they're still they're still. Uh, I don't think Sirianni is that good of a coach. Agreed. I, um, I mean that might contradict my statement of them going twelve and five, but I think that their schedule is very easy. Agreed. And um, sitting at twelve and five again, I have the Dallas Cowboys. Um, they sharpened up the positions of nest uh, of need. You have Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore on the outside. That solidifies your secondary with Jaron Curse over the top. You have a good secondary. You have Micah Parsons, who's arguably the best edge rusher in football. Um, you still have Demarcus Lawrence. Your interior D line. You draft a guy from Michigan. I forget his name, but they oh, yeah. they they solidified their defense, and that was a big question mark for them last year. And then offensively, you go out and get Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is a guy who can take the top off of a defense. You still have C.D. Lamb, who's arguably a top five receiver in the NFL, maybe top ten for sure in my opinion. And you still have a guy. Do they? I was about to say Michael Gallup. Did Michael Gallup leave, or is he still there? Why do I think, I think Michael Gallup left? I think he's still there. Hey Siri, what team is Michael Gallup on? Mm. Like that. No, he's on the Cowboys. I was right. Just making sure before I went on a limb. But you have three very solid receivers. You lose Dalton Schultz in free agency to the Texans, but that's a, a somewhat of a red zone threat. You still have other guys who step into that role. So I think that the Cowboys are a pretty good team. This is Mike McCarthy's last chance. And the, the, the NFC East never has a team win the division back-to-back years. I don't remember the last time that's happened. Yeah. But yep, that's, um, that's why I have them winning on top. Okay. They're going to have a better divisional record than the Eagles. And um, I, I, they're going to win the division. Cowboys at 12-5 and five, tied record-wise with the Eagles. I don't know why when, when you said right. the Eagles second at 12-5. and five. I thought you were going to say Cowboys at like 14-3. Hold on. Yeah, no, well, I saw I saw your face. I, I really yeah. thought Stav was about a time with the Cowboys. No, right right when he said he has the Eagles in second at 12-5, and five, I knew he was going to have a tie. I knew he was going to have a tie in records <laughs> between them and the Cowboys. And I knew he was going to give the Cowboys. Can I, you guys I hear do me? love – I, I do like that, though. I, I, like it. I like it a lot. I can't hear – hold on. I can't hear you right now. Stav can't hear I'm going to go on mute and figure it out. Yeah, please do. Just do it. Um, we're recording. Uh, <laughs> no, but we'll move on to the AFC. It's funny. I noticed that Stav has his two bottom teams tied and his two top teams tied in the NFC East. That's something to point out. Um, but Stav is going to come back to some shocking news because we're starting with the AFC East here. And I'm going to have to start at the bottom of the division, right? Yep. Um, I got the Patriots at the bottom of the division. I got them finishing seven and ten. I hate their schedule. I hate it. I I mean, I've been on this podcast for three years now. We all know I'm not a Patriots hater, but when it comes to predictions, who seems to be right year in and year out about this team? It's the guys sitting from the outside looking in at the team. I just want to get things started with. I don't care about how confident he looks. Once you get Mac Jones up there, he looks like Ellen DeGeneres after all the allegations. He, I mean, he's a lost soul, a lost cause. He has absolutely no confidence. Screw having Billy OB as the new offensive coordinator because he has enough shit going on with his life already. I don't believe in this team. I'm sorry. I don't. I think that the defense might be the best in the division, but there's so much firepower in this division that I have the Patriots at the bottom sitting What'd you say the- in 10. Okay, seven and ten. I got him at seven and ten. I don't believe in the offense. I I think that if anything, the offense takes a step up. 
the only reason I think that they take a step up is because there's not enough room behind them to take a step down um, as an offense. Third in the division, I have the Miami Dolphins. I see this as a team which you would never wish this upon anybody. Someone's getting hurt. Someone on this team is going to get hurt. They're going to finish the season nine and eight, maybe eight and nine. I'm going to go nine and eight officially, though, because I think that the AFC East is going to be good this year. Um, I don't like the way that their schedule looks for them. I hate Tua Tagovailoa. Um, I don't even remember who their backup is. It still might be Teddy B. It doesn't matter. Someone on this team, offense or defense, is going to get hurt, and it's going to be a super serious season-altering injury for this team. Um, <laughs> that's just a prediction. I really, It's football. People get hurt, and I think that the Dolphins are going to have the injury bug. In second place, I got the New York Jets. Um, I think that I it, it's taken me so long to be sold on the Jets, and I bet that you guys aren't seeing that you guys are AFC East guys. Um, and I really don't believe them either, but like it's Aaron Rodgers at the end of the day. So like he has to have something left in the tank. I think that this is A-Rod's last season. Sauce Gardner might might be in the case for Depoy this year. I kind of like the way that their defense looks. I love the way that their running back room looks. If they add Dalvin Cook, then who knows what's going to happen there. Um, Garrett Wilson is coming out. Everybody is in love with him. I have the New York Jets finishing also at nine and eight. Um, and I have them actually sweeping the Dolphins series. So I have just their head to head record winning. I have the Jets beating the Dolphins in both games. And then sitting atop the AFC East, I have the Buffalo Bills at 13 and four. Um, I think that this is about time that Josh Allen just needs to get his shit together. And if he doesn't, then I'm completely wrong. But I can see Josh Allen as, you know, he's not my number one MVP candidate and he's not my prediction for MVP. You guys will hear that in a few weeks once we finish all of these predictions. But I think Josh Allen could finish within the top three of MVP voting this year. I think that Stefan Diggs takes a huge step up. I love Dalton Kincaid, who's their rookie tight end. That adds a crazy, crazy tight end room or adds to a crazy, crazy tight end room already. Um you have the defense, you have the secondary right now of Tredavious White. If um if Micah Hyde, if um who's the other who's the other safety out there? Number oh, Tamar Hamlin. Well, I mean him too. Um yeah. I can't wait. Number 21. Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer. If they can stay healthy, I mean that's a great secondary. I love them this year. I got them finishing 13 and 4. Um, we have so long until the NFC West, but I feel like you guys are going to rip the Seahawks because I put the Pats at seven and 10. Um, that's just how I feel. I don't, I, I was looking I, at their schedule and I was just going game by game and I was like, Ugh, I don't know if I love the way this looks for them. Um, well, I'm not cutting off your picks. I just can't wait until everybody in the NFL realizes that DeMar Hamlin's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Like they're expecting bro to come back and like be like be the Sean MVP. Taylor. I mean, Sean, they have something in common, like when they're both fucking no, dead, no, but like, no, 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 no. <laughs> dude, Dar Hamlin sucks. Like he, he's not, he's, he's, he's not going to come back and win defensive player of the year. It's just the NFL is rigged. So they'll give him comeback player of the year. Like sweet, congrats. That's no one cares. He's not, even the... a starting, he's not a starting player on that team when Hyde and Boyer are safety. 
Or, no, um, he's not. Can't wait for him to run down and kick off and make some plays. Special teams matter. He loves special teams, but that's that's just about as much playing time as he's going to see. Like they, the I loved how on Twitter the Bills like you guys remember the Joe Burrow running out on Senior Night with the Burrow jersey in the back, like yeah, how they and the crowd was going nuts. They did the same thing with Demar Hamlin for like training camp, and like the fans went nuts. He's not. He sucks. Like I can't wait until they uh until he gets like torched over the top and like he gets benched. That's what's gonna happen. It's inevitable. But Will for your predictions of the AFC. All right. Uh well mine are a little bit different than uh than Griff's, kinda. Um I got the Jets last at eight and nine. I don't love them. I I don't love it. I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has it anymore. I think he lost his fastball a little bit. I'm gonna be honest. Last year, he sucked awfully, like maybe worst year of his career. Goes to the Jets. Jets aren't really notorious for doing anything crazy. I don't I don't love it. I think they're going to be all right. Amen. Um, I'm just going to do this together. I got Pats and Dolphins finishing both at 9 and 8. I think the Pats have a hard schedule, but I think they end up – I think they both have a hard schedule. I think this whole division actually has a hard schedule this year. I think they all, I think they all have. Some tough games going on. Yeah, nine and eight is being well, yeah, but nine and eight. I think I'm just I'm being a little hopeful, but I don't really know what to say. That's a little biased with Pats. Dolphins, I think they stay solid. I do like your take about an injury happening. That scared me the entire time looking at their schedule. I was like, something's gonna happen. They're gonna finish like yeah, like week four, like four and thirteen happen. somehow, like like something bad. Like I don't know. I can I, see it being a defensive piece too. I'm not talking about Tua. People think I'm talking about Tua, which no, I might I, be, but I think that a defensive piece is going to go down too. Tua's not okay. I mean, okay, if, we talk, Ramsey, if we're talking about this, Tua died last year too. People forget about that. He's not going to come back and be crazy. He's a left-handed quarterback. When has that ever worked? That's never ever worked. It's never worked. Mike Vick didn't even work. How many Super Bowls does he have? It's fair. No one ever brings up the yeah. Mike Vick Super Bowl debate. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the ratio on. Oh, actually, I can't. Okay. 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 But yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I'll, I'll push. I'll push the Patriots ahead of them because whatever. And then I have the Bills finishing twelve and five. I think they figured out something this year. They're going to get something going. Josh Allen needs to figure it out, like you said. Stefan Diggs doesn't seem too happy. I don't really know what's going on there, but I hope that they can figure that out. Why do you hope that? Hope they can. That you well, I mean, I oh, I don't hope. Well, we have no hope. I'm gonna be honest. Like, I'm gonna be honest straight up. Like nine and eight. Like we're lucky. Like I'm just. I'm hoping that we even get there. <laughs> okay. Well, now we have to hear stars. Okay. Like, I'm just like I'm just saying that out of just like like I have to show love to my team. Like I have to. But like the yeah. Bills are disgusting. Like like I like Stephon Diggs. Yes, he happens to play for a team I do not like. So does Josh Allen. All right. Fan of the game. I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with last place. I have the Dolphins going nine and eight. I think that this division is gonna be very good. I mean, it is. Talent wise, yeah, it it's is. a very good it division. Is. And a tough whether an injury happens or not but you i look at the certain this the play style of the dolphins right versus the teams that they're facing and who they're going to lose to i think it just adds up perfectly because 
all you have to do to beat the Dolphins is cover the middle of the fucking field. That's it. Like, Tua can't throw to the boundary. And, I mean, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are phenomenal. But you take away Mike Gusecki, who is your number one red zone target, What? who are you going to throw to in the red zone now? I don't know. And who's their running back right now? Raheem Mostert still? Yeah. So it's Raheem Mostert. And remember when we were talking about how Dalvin Cook to the Dolphins was as sure as done, and now he's going to go to the Jets. So it, there's something going on in Miami. I think that there's a sophomore slump for coaches, and I think we're going to see that with Mike McDaniel. I think teams are going to figure them out. I have them go, But with that being said, I have them going 9-8. and eight. At third in the division, I have the New York Football Jets going 10-7. and seven. Um, They're all right. I think that this defense is going to will them. I don't think that the offense is as good as people make them out to be. Dalvin Cook for sure helps, but it might be a certain it might be a circumstance of addition by subtraction. You know what I mean, Griff? You brought it up perfectly earlier in the episode how you have Brees Hall who's coming off of injury, so I understand wanting to compliment him. But then you have a guy like Michael Carter who has been very serviceable for your team over the last two years, going on to his third season. So you bring Dalvin Cook in, you're taking reps away from both Brees Hall and Michael Carter. You're going to have three running backs who want the ball. And you have Aaron Rodgers who will, like you said, is coming off of his worst career year. Garrett Wilson has stood out in training camp. Let's take that with a grain of salt. Demario Douglas has stood out for the Patriots in training camp as well. You know what I mean? And my favorite clip of all time, they were this is going off topic, but I just love the overreactions coming out of training camp. When Zay Jones ran the uh, the hook route compared to when Calvin Ridley ran it, and everyone's saying, holy shit, Calvin Ridley looks like he's running this 40 times faster than Zay Jones. It's like, okay, they're running it on air. You have to run. I, I don't know. That's just my I, Training camp overreactions are great, but you have Nathaniel Hackett as your offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's worked with Aaron Rodgers before, but he literally just came off of the worst coaching stint in history him and jeff saturday the two worst nfl coaches of all time like nathaniel hackett's not a good coach aaron Rodgers made him good but who's on this jets offense in the receiver room other than garrett wilson we're gonna say alan lazard i, I don't think alan lazard is great i think he's a 50 he's a jump ball receiver i compare him to Devontae parker i think those guys are interchangeable and then you go Corey Davis. What the fuck has that guy done in 10 years? He's been in the league forever. Everyone's like, oh, well, we have Corey Davis. Yeah. You traded Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore was a good player. He's on the Browns now. You have three receivers. Who else is on this team? Can, I, I'm actually asking. Who, Nicole. Randall yeah, Cobb. Nicole Hardman, who the only pass he'll catch is a little flick pass when he goes in motion. I don't remember ever seeing this guy catching a ball down the field. Exactly. So, with that being said, I have the Jets at 10 and 7. Let me remind you. Then I have the Patriots at 11 and 6. And I think, Will, where are the difference in us here? I think the Patriots win opening day at home versus Philly. Um, no one has them winning that game. I think that they split with the Dolphins. I think that the Bills take both of the wins against them. I think, I, I'm saying, I. 
think the Bills will sweep us. And I think we split with the Jets. And um, certain other games you guys might have that I have them winning that you have them as losses. I have them beating the Chargers at home. Um, I have them. I have them beating the Chargers. I have them winning at Dallas. Uh, I don't believe have that. This year. I have them losing to Dallas. Yeah, so that's that's uh, Griff. That's pretty much the two yeah. win difference that we have. And you look at this team last year; they went eight and nine. With what fucking shit went on with them? Right, you went eight and nine. You have the Jacoby Myers lateral. That was that ended up being a loss. You have the game that we went to the the uh, Bengals game where you fumbled the game away at the goal line when you should have won that game. That's two wins right there. That puts you at ten and seven instead of eight and nine. And then there was the other game. Uh, I even say the Dolphins opening day. You lost twenty to seven. You held that offense to thirteen points. If you had a competent offense, you win that game. Um, so that's the eleven wins right there. I how I looked at this Patriots schedule was okay they won eight games last year strictly on defense and special teams now you add the factor of a very good offensive coordinator with a quarterback who has something to prove who has this locker room and you add a guy like Mike Gusecki who is a playmaker in the red zone when you finished last in red zone offense last year you add a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster who is a receiver who can get you nine receptions and can move the chains and replace. I think he's a better version than Jacoby Myers. I, I think Jacoby Myers is a spot, is a fine receiver. Um, sucks to see him go, but then we're going to see the increased role of Kendrick Bourne and then training camp stud, Demario Douglas. Apparently, he, he he's fast as hell. He's running routes great and he has great hands and he's making the starting secondary look bad. And that's not something we've seen out of a receiver. And we know how much the Patriots love their slot receivers. Right. So I think he's going to work his way into the starting rotation. And then you go out and if you get a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, you have a two headed monster in the backfield with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. But you need to get Ezekiel Elliott. I'm like this solidifies my opinion with the Patriots if they go out and get Zeke, because that helps them tremendously on offense. And we're going to see a lot of RPOs. We're going to see a lot of quick decisions out of Mac Jones. It's going to be an annoying style of offense to watch. It's going to be a lot of Deacon dump. It's going to be a lot of plays over the middle. Five yards, 10 yards, five yards, five yards, five yards. We're not going to see a lot of big over-the-top plays like we will see with the Buffalo Bills, who I have winning the division, as we all do. I have them going 12-5. and five. Um, Where this team can fall off, though, I think that there is actually trouble in paradise with Stephon Diggs and this Bills organization. I wouldn't be surprised if something derails along the way. If they go on a little losing streak somewhere before the trade deadline, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills move them. You know, he he says he wants a part in the play calling. What receiver ever has a part in the play calling? The, I mean, and he's a competitor. I love Stephon Diggs. Like, don't get me wrong. It sucks to see him just, like, go for 140 yards and two touchdowns against the Patriots every time they play. It sucks. I'm going to be honest. I wish that Stephon Diggs was – that's a player who I would kill for to be on the Patriots. But they – who are the running backs? You have Damian Harris and James Cook. Damian Harris, who is a hamstring injury away from being the next Devonta Freeman. Um, James Cook wasn't good last year. And the offensive line scares me. Their secondary is pretty good with Poyer, Hyde, Tredavious White, Kyrie Elam, who's stepping up in his second year. But 
I think they've been very thin at the cornerback position. Um, defensively, Von Miller is still there. Um, Ed Oliver is still there. You have guys who can who are game wreckers like Matt Milano. But Tremaine Edmonds is gone. That was your leader on defense. So who's going to step up and be the leading tackler out of the middle linebacker spot? Matt Milano is more of an outside linebacker who's going to play hook to curl. But you need somebody to stop up in the middle and stop the run. Where What has fucked over this Bills team in the past? Not being able to stop the run. And you give up your biggest linebacker, essentially, and he walks and goes to the Bears. Um, that's going to hurt them. I, I still have him going 12-5. and five, Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about what could derail them along the season. Certain teams match up with them well. Um, I don't think that they win any of the big games against teams like Cincinnati. Hopefully Joe Burrow is okay. They have Philadelphia on their schedule, as we all do, as we all know. They have Kansas City. I don't think that they win those games. I think that they split with Miami, and I think they split with the Jets, and I think they lose an opening night. That's kind of my reaction. That's how I have them. And I, we all rank these pretty similarly yeah. I for different reasons, so I'm kind of happy that we all brought what we did to the table. And um, football's back. Football is back. And um, let's go, Will. Choose the next division that we're going to be picking that's not the West. North. North. Let's do the North. Um, So that will be what we do. The AFC and the NFC North will take place um, at the end of next episode for now. I think that's all that we have. Yeah. All right. So glad that football is back. Training camp is in full swing. We got a few moves happening um, within the next day of the MLB. Stuff's going to be going crazy. Before you know it, NBA is going to be back. Um, But with that being said, we hope you guys enjoyed. We will catch you on the next episode. And peace.